welcome for those who are here uh, for the first time to Renovation Church. My name, if you don't know me, is uh, Doug Nilms. I serve as one of our pastors here, and it is one of the greatest joys of my life to do so because they're awesome. I just need you to know that. This church is an amazing, I like you, I do, you're great. I heard like an awe, I don't know where it came from, but I'm serious, like y'all are pretty great. So I like, I like you and I like being your pastor, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but I wanna tell you a little bit about where we are and a little bit about us. Uh, so if you are here for the first time, like know this, we're just a community of people who are trying our best to practice the way of Jesus. Like that's basically what this is. And we have built a church, a community where you can belong while you figure out how to do that, right? While you, you can be loved by these people while you work out what it looks like to practice the way of Jesus in this space. So here's my encouragement to you, particularly if you would say you don't follow the way of Jesus. Enjoy these people. They're, they're pretty great. Um, l- experience the love of Jesus through them while you're here. Now, you find us in the midst of a series called Defining Jesus. Now, I love this because I love talking about Jesus because I'm a pastor and a Christian, so there you go. Uh, but we've been looking at what did Jesus say about himself, right? Everybody tries to talk about who Jesus is. Let's just ask him and look through the scriptures at the self-proclamations of Jesus. We're in week four, and today's self-proclamation about Jesus is perhaps the most hopeful in all the Bible. If nothing else, it's literally the foundation of the Christian faith because it is the statement, I am the resurrection and the life. Yes, Jesus said that about himself, if you didn't know, that he is the resurrection and the life, which for Christians is the most hopeful thing we can ever hear. But I want to give a quick word before we jump into our text today, Uh, because oftentimes the greatest hope we can ever hear comes in the midst of the greatest tragedies, okay? So the scene we're going to look in today is the funeral of one of Jesus' close friends, okay? So for those of you who've recently lost someone, look, I I see you, but here's what's more importantly than that. Jesus sees you, okay? So if you are wrestling with what Psalm 23 would call the walking through the shadow of the valley of death, know that today is specifically here to encourage you, even if it is a rubbing a little bit, okay? So before we jump in any further, I think we should pray. How do you feel about that? Let's do that. Holy Spirit, I think first, thank you for being here. Man, wow. Um, I I need to pray for me real quick. Lord, give me clarity as you have wrecked me this morning. Father, I pray that you continue to be with us. Thank you once again for your presence among your people. I ask that as we walk through this amazing proclamation of King Jesus, that it give us unending hope in this life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to start with a question. What gives you hope? Like, or maybe a better way to say it this way. What makes you believe that there's going to be a better day in the future? Like a better tomorrow, right? Like for many of us in our culture, it can be a bunch of different things. Perhaps it's uh, your particular status in life, right? You have a good bank account. You have great relationships. Your life's pretty great. Right? Perhaps that is what gives you the hope that there is a better tomorrow. Perhaps it's your belief that you'll just get the job done. Right? 
those of us who feel very self-sufficient, that this, I can just, no matter what happens, I'll be able to navigate it and there'll be a better day on the other side of it. Whatever it is, there is something that is giving you hope because human beings were designed to run on hope. Like the philosopher Plato even says that hope is the greatest gift humanity has, right? And we can see this so clearly by looking at the opposite. Like the most despondent area we can look at or the the worst state of a human being is when they've lost hope. Like hopelessness, I would argue, is the worst place a human can be. And as proof point, I submit to you Atlanta traffic. It's hopeless, and we all know it. And what has happened to us, no, 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 what has happened to us is that because it feels hopeless, we have all lost a collective sense of self-preservation when we drive in this town. We just jump out there on the interstate without any consideration to the three semis behind us, right? Now, I, I joke, but the truth is we know this to be true, that there is a hope that is driving us because we all need a reason to hope. We do. And when we lose that, we become the worst versions of ourselves. Now, that is true, has been true since human beings have been human beings. What has also been true is the problem we face every single day, which is that we live in a world of sin and death, of chaos, of what feels like hopelessness all around us, of injustice, of all these different things that we're constantly seeing around us. We live with that. We're berated with it every day. And if you ever spend any time on social media, the algorithm's showing you more. Like, let's even pull back for a second, not just on a personal level, but let's just think about culturally. Two years ago, we lost over a million of our fellow citizens and over six million image bearers of God to a plague. Do we not think that so many of the cultural ills that we see are as a result of that? We were confronted with our own mortality and it changed us. The world around us is not giving us hope. It is fighting against it. It is shaping us, if we let it, into being hopeless, into being depressed, into being apathetic. And honestly, this is just wrong to me. I I believe it's wrong in a meta sense that no human being should live without hope. And look, I, I know what this is like on a deeply personal level, right? Um, I, I rarely tell this story, but it felt really poignant to tell right now. So I be- began to practice the way of Jesus in the wake of death, okay? So when I was from ages 15 to 19, um, in the same three-week span of late July to early August, the time we're in right now, I lost, for four years straight, a dear friend to me to tragic accidents. Three car accidents and one drowning. And it broke me. I'm just going to be just totally flatly honest. It broke me. Like, I remember the, the last person that died that last year. I didn't even cry. 
Like I didn't cry at their funeral. I didn't cry as a pallbearer. I didn't cry. I didn't, I don't, to this day, I don't think I cried about it. it. It just numbed me. And all of this came to a head when I was at Georgia State in general classroom 101 and philosophy 1101 with Professor Kenny Smith. Now, none of you care about that unless you went to Georgia State. You're like, he sees me. And yes, I do. And we're in the philosophy of God. And he asked the question, is there a God and can we know it? Now, I'm a pastor's kid. I've been preparing for this moment my whole life. I'm like, I know the answer to this. But I sat there shook. Shook. Because all of a sudden, the chaos of the last four years, the hopelessness of the last four years, came crashing down into my worldview. Came crashing into my faith. And so very much like a teenage drama, I like to sh- like grab all my things disheveled and like start tearing on, just like storm out of the classroom, get in my car. And on my way to my apartment, I unleash four years of pain and angst at God. I think of every insult I can think of and throw it at God. And I don't even know how long I cried. I don't know how long I cussed out God. I don't know how long it happened. But I remember getting up from that and saying, I can't live in a world that you exist where you don't exist. But if you want me to follow you, I need you to show me that you're real. Now, here's what I figured out later. I didn't know that at the time. What I was asking for was a reason to hope. I needed a reason to hope that everything was going to be okay. Because it didn't feel that way. And what I found out, and what... King Jesus so mightily showed me was that in this life, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, went the wrong way, the resurrected Jesus is our only sure hope. And I want to be specific. Not just Jesus, the resurrected Jesus is our only sure hope. So here's what I want to do today. I want to go to a scene where it looks like there is no hope that Jesus walks into, found in John chapter 11. And I want to look at not only the statement he makes about himself, but his explanation of it and the reverberating impacts of it. How does that sound? So if you would, let's jump to John chapter 11. We're going to be in starting verse 26. I want to set up the scene before we get there, okay? Jesus' dear friend Lazarus went, had became gravely ill, okay? And they sent for Jesus because like he heals everyone. He'll definitely heal his friend. Come on, Jesus, come to town. It was about three miles from where Jesus was at, so he definitely could have made it in a day. And he just doesn't go. Like the, there's, he just does not go. And he doesn't go for the time period so much that Lazarus dies, has a funeral, and they bury him, and he's been in the grave for four days. And then he goes. Now that seems like a very odd situation when you look at it. Like Jesus doesn't even care about it. But hopefully as we discover, we will see far more into this of what his intentions are for his people. And this is where we pick up. Jesus is now walking into the funeral. This is what it says. When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus has already been in his grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem and many of the people had come to console Martha and Mary in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, 
my brother would not have died. She believes Jesus can heal people. That's good theology. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. This woman has a sound theology. Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Martha says, yes, I know he will rise when everyone else rises on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Not even just that, whoa, whoa, we're not done yet. Anyone who believes in me will live even after they die. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. And then aggressively, do you believe this, Martha? Like Jesus could have been y'all's pastor, man. I'm just going to tell you right now, he was aggressive and you wouldn't have liked it at all. Now, I, I genuinely want to start here looking at the scene of his interaction with Martha, okay? Because that seems to be the catalyst for Jesus wanting to tell us something about himself. So let's set the stage real quick. Just look into it. Martha's got good theology, man. Like her brother's died and she is holding on to the realization that he will rise again one day. This is excellent, good Bible reading that there will be a resurrection of God's people one day and all will be made right in the world and God's kingdom will reign on this earth and that is what is giving her hope and that is a good thing. But Jesus seems to have a different agenda here. He seems to not want to, to press upon Martha's good theology about the hereafter and bring it into the now. He seems discontent on Martha hoping for a day that will, that will come off in the future and her not hoping in what's in front of her. He doesn't simply want to reinforce her good theology. He wants to make a proclamation about her life today. And so he takes her future hope and brings it into the present moment specifically in himself. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now we need to, this is, we're gonna stay here for a second because we gotta dig into this man. For her hearing this, what Jesus would have been saying is that, look, I know you have good belief in God that one day the earth will be perfect that your brother will rise again, he won't have sickness, he won't be lame, there will be no more tears, no more sadness. That's beautiful and wonderful. I am that right now. Like, he is proclaiming victory over death. He is proclaiming that the new life that you desire for, hope for, is standing beside you. That all that she hopes is true is speaking to her. That the future that she longs for is standing beside her. He is turning future belief into tangible present. He is inviting Martha not simply to believe in a future hope, but in a present hope. He is trying to help her see, and I would say us now, that victory over the evils of this world isn't coming, it's here. 
Jesus is proclaiming that he is God's perfect future with us now. Like sit with that for a minute. That everything you want to see happen that is good in this world is fully embodied in the person of Jesus and he would like to talk. That Jesus is God's perfect future with us now. Like the implications of this are endless. But I want to handle one that is a tenant to the, the Christian faith that is very uncomfortable in our context. First, there'll be other ones we get to. Does this mean that as Christians we can pray for those who have passed on to live again right here and now? Yeah. And I know that's uncomfortable, and that's in the Bible, and it happens. Now, not frequently. Let's be very clear. It's very infrequent even in the scriptures. But that's the level of belief in Jesus that we have as Christians. That death isn't the last word. That we can pray for resurrection here and now and see it. But it's not just that. Because he is saying that he is the full expression of human life as it should be here and now. He not only conquers death, he shows us how to live a life of life. And so this is what this means. Let's just take a handful of examples. For those suffering from addiction, Jesus is your present freedom now. For those in here, who are married, who are bordering on divorce. Jesus is the life-giving relationship God has for you, present among you. For those who struggle with mental health issues, myself included, Jesus is our abiding peace. Now, does this, does this mean that I think that everyone who follows the Jesus will never suffer? I hope my story earlier helped you see that is not what I'm saying. God uses miracles and means. Yes, he does. God uses miracles and means. What I am saying is that when you are with Jesus, God's perfect future is always showing up for you. Like, let me put it this way. Like, I'm, I'm not as smart as this man. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright says this better than I ever could. I'm basically like restating his point. Let's read it. Run off to meet Jesus when hard things happen. Tell him the problem. Ask him why he didn't come sooner. Why he allowed that awful thing to happen. And then be prepared for a surprising response. Can't predict what that response will be for the very good reason that it is always, always a surprise. But I do know the shape it will take. Jesus will meet your problem with some new part of God's future that can and will burst into your present time, into the mess and the grief with good news, with hope, with new possibilities. This is what it means that he's the resurrection and the life. That no matter the circumstance that you see, God's perfect future is showing up for you. 
and inviting you to walk with him. Now, the the interesting part about this is that that probably was a very confusing statement for Martha. And what follows was probably really aggressive, particularly for someone who is in pain. Because look what he says after this. Anyone who believes in me will live even after they die. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Do you believe this, Martha? Now, we got to state the obvious just so it's clear. Is Jesus saying that no one will ever die? No, he says it right there that you will live even after you die. So he's acknowledging that death is a part of our current reality. But this is where, like, like moving from Greek to English, it loses something. So when it says never, ever right there, what he's actually saying is more on the basis of eternal life. That you will never truly die. He is claiming that he is the way to experience eternal life. That though you may pass on in this life, the ones we love pass on in this life, that is not the end. That they will never truly die if they follow him. This is, this is Jesus turning hope into something we can interact with, to someone we can interact with. He, he is moving your hope that everything will be okay. And he says, if you follow me, Everything will be okay. It'll be better than okay. It will be full and true and eternal life. So what he's saying, like, and and I want us to get this. Because again, you, you lose things when you like, you know, move languages, right? If you're studying a new language, you experience this right now. You're like, I didn't know that was a word or that language didn't have this word. It's an interesting thing. He's saying not just believe. And I want to press this point because we live in the West and we think that life is about, is a thought experiment. It's not just believe to a system of beliefs. It is that. But it's more putting your whole trust in. That's what he means there. Everyone who lives in me puts their whole trust in me will never truly die. The gift that, that death no longer has any sway over his people. Like, Apostle Paul is going to echo this in 1 Corinthians. He's going to say, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, grave, where is your sting? That for those who practice the way of Jesus, follow the way of Jesus, the thing that every human was running from since we've been humans no longer wins. That death is no longer an undefeated opponent. That for those who trust in Jesus, death has no victory. 
Jesus is proclaiming that true and everlasting life is the gift to those who follow him. Like, can we not see how this changes everything? Like, fundamentally, (laughs) being a Christian is just realizing this over and over and over and over and over again. That the resurrected Jesus came for me. And working out the implications of that over and over and over again. But I want to point out something that I'm seeing in our culture at large that is suffering from a lack of trust in a resurrected Jesus. Like, it, it feels like our culture is trying to fit an eternity's worth of dreams and desires into a finite momentary life. Like, you see this. We think that if we don't correct whatever political spectrum we do right here and now, that everything's going to fall apart. Let's do it more joyful. We think that if we don't visit every country on our bucket list, that we've wasted our life. That if we don't build this business to a certain amount of whatever, that we've totally squandered this existence. That if we don't solve every injustice in our lifetime, we've lost. And look, I'm not saying those are bad things. What I am saying is that if that has robbed you of your peace and joy, you've taken an eternal desire and tried to satisfy it in a moment. Like human beings were made for the eternal. You have desires in your heart that cannot be satisfied in this life. You were knitted with the eternal in your heart. And so to try to satisfy all of that in the here and now only causes a lack of peace and joy only makes us feel like everything won't be okay. It robs us of our hope. You were were never meant to satisfy all the dreams in your heart anywhere other than with eternal life with Jesus. And so that's why it feels that way. True and everlasting life is the gift to those who follow Jesus. Now, if you're like me, that is incredibly encouraging, inspiring even. And like, if you're Martha, you're like, that's awesome. It sounds too good to be true. Let's just be honest. It sounds too good to be true. But as you follow Jesus, you'll learn something. He is less into talking about it and more into being about it. Like, that's just kind of who he is. So this is what he does. And you can go read about this in John chapter 11, verses 38 to 44. He walks from Martha to where her brother has been dead for four days. And with the ease of calling a friend outside the house, he resurrects him. He, look, go read it. He literally says, Lazarus, come on out. But again, like a friend would call somebody out of a house. And Lazarus gets up and walks out. Like one of my funniest things about this whole scene is that they're trying to get him not to do it because like, Lord, he stinks. 
He's been dead for four days. He stinks. And Jesus says, hey, hey, come on out. And he walks out. But not just that. Like we are mere, in this scene, we are mere a few months away from Jesus himself allowing himself to be murdered on a cross for the sins of the world and then with no consideration to how that story is supposed to go, he just gets up three days later. He resurrects himself to prove to you, to prove to me that there is nothing that death in this life can hold over us. He just gets up. And this is why this matters to you. Like, hang on, I want you to read it because it's more powerful that way. If Jesus beat death, then no one and no situation is too far gone. Feel this. If he got up, If he said that the one thing that has plagued humanity since sin entered this world, I just ended, then you are never too far gone. I am never too far gone. Like, this is what this means. You think your marriage is too wrecked. We've just done too much to each other. He beat death. I'm sorry, healing a marriage is easy. You think the addiction has scarred me too much. It's done too much. I have too much scars. I have too much pain. I've done too many things I'm ashamed of. He beat death. Your wholeness is awaiting you. There is, if he beat death, there is no one or no situation that is ever beyond resurrection in life. This is the foundation of the Christian faith. We are a people who build everything on the reality that he got up. Not on a system of belief, We have those and they're good and they're orthodox and we love them. But that ain't the foundation. The foundation is that my King Jesus died for me, died for us, and then three days later just got up and is now ruling and reigning for us. So the invitation I think is pretty clear today. Build your faith and parenthetically life on the resurrection of Jesus. And I mean this really, really practically. Like I know that sounds like, oh, that's a beautiful thing. No, no, I mean this super practically. Like this is actually some of the gift of going through difficult times. Because what can happen is that during easy times, we begin to add things to our life. And then all of a sudden when hard times hit, we find out what the foundation actually was. If I can be honest, when I went through that very difficult time of having many people die in my life, that's when my foundation actually got secured on two realities. And here they are. I fundamentally believe, and I mean this, that Jesus resurrected from the dead. 
and then I build every single other worldview, other belief, all of my relationships, all of my angst in this life, all the things I want to see happen in this life on that reality. And the second one's this. He came for me. You see, that's the implication there. Not only did he get out of the grave, he came for me. Me. I'm sure he came for you too, but he came for me. He saw me hurting, hurting, and he came for me and showed me what resurrection life can look like. So look, if, if you're here and you are not a Christian, I've said it already, this is the basic of the Christian faith, not figuring everything out. It's a fundamental trust that Jesus got up from the grave. And then you work everything else out. Look, if you are a Christian here, you follow the way of Jesus. My encouragement to you is this. Take an assessment. Have you built other things on a foundation of your life that are not the resurrection of Jesus? Take an assessment. What, what, is, what is propping up your life that isn't the resurrection of Jesus? And do the hard work of removing it and seeing what comes out of that. But look, if that's too hard for you, I understand, I really do. Because like that is like the, the salvation call, as it were, right? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray a prayer with me every day this week. And we're going to send this out in email, and it's in the Bible app, and you can find it. Jesus, I want to believe that you rose from the grave. Please make yourself real to me. That's it. Here's what I know. Not only from the Bible, from personal experience. He will. He did for me. And I'm not that special. A little bit, but not a lot. This is the invitation. Pray this prayer today and every day. I want to believe that you rose from the grave. Make yourself real to me. And like, here's what I know. When we do this, oh man, when we do this, this life changes fundamentally. We become a people, a person, a human being that has an unending acceptance of love, unending joy, unending peace, we become the most helpful people on the planet because our whole life is lived not trying to satisfy some eternal desire here and now, but for those around us because that's what our Savior did. Those who live through in the resurrected Jesus become the most loving, joyful, peaceful people on the planet because they have a definitive answer to this question. Is everything going to be okay? He beat death. So yeah. Is there a brighter day tomorrow? Well, he beat death. So yeah. Can I experience hope, joy here and now in this world? He beat death and then wants to talk. So yeah. This is the invitation today. This is what awaits you. This is what awaits you. This is what is yours. A relationship with the resurrection life itself. 
I pray, I pray that we would be a people who would grow in that. In our, in our deep love and trust that the resurrected King Jesus came for us. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I, I think we have to say up front, thank you. God, every, every heart in this room who follows you knows that sense of gratitude because you came for us. We were staring unbelievable circumstances in the face and you came for us. You beat death for us. My prayer, my hope today is that we would be a people who lived through with the resurrected King Jesus as the foundation of our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.